I wanna take just a few minutes here if we could and go back to the origins of prophecy and talk about the definitions of it, the origins of it, some controversy that has always surrounded it and then fulfillment, just a few minutes. So stay with me and then we're gonna practice here at the end. At the very beginning, in Exodus chapter seven, verse one, the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to send Aaron, your brother to you, and he will be your prophet. He will speak for you. And so right off the bat, we have the identification of a prophet as one who stands and speaks in the place of another. They're not speaking on their own. They're actually speaking what they're hearing spoken to them and then they tell that forth. Does that make sense? So the very definition of a prophet is not someone who makes stuff up, but who is actually a mediator between one party and another party and passes that along. The very first time that prophecy is brought up is in Numbers chapter 11. So if you would go there with me, I'm gonna unpack some definitions here in this story. Numbers chapter 11, the setup to this is that the Israelites are in the desert and they're complaining because they don't have any meat to eat and they wanna get back to Egypt to the place of slavery where they had it really good. And Moses is just absolutely fed up, he's furious He's like, Lord, I didn't give birth to these people. Why do I have to carry? They're griping and complaining. Just kill me now if this is how it's going to be. And the Lord says to Moses, I want you to get 70 of Israel's elders together, the shepherds of the, of the nation of Israel, and bring them together in the tent of meeting. And I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna meet with you and these 70 guys. And I'm gonna take some of the spirit that's on you and I'm gonna put it on them. And so then he goes on to say what's going to happen after that. They're going to have meat to eat. And Moses complains again. He's like, there's 600,000 men alone on foot. How would you feed all of them? There's not enough herds of sheep and, and, and flocks to butcher every day to feed them. And there's not enough fish in the sea. And Moses forgets about the air. And he says, how are you going to do it? And the Lord's like, don't worry, trust me, I got this. But before the meat comes... I'm speaking prophetically now, before the sustenance comes and the meat comes, I need to do something in the prophetic for y'all. I'm gonna birth something in the prophetic. And so it says in verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people of the Lord what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. And then the Lord came down as a prophetic sign of what happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter two. He came down in the cloud and he spoke with him, spoke with Moses and he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and he put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. First time that word is used in the Bible. They prophesied. Nava, it's called. It means to speak or to sing by divine inspiration or influence with occasional prediction. It's divinely inspired speech. They were speaking forth mysteries that they should not have known. And it comes with occasional prediction of the future. Look what happens in verse 26 though. However, two men, probably brothers, whose names were Eldad and Medad, remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they didn't go to the tent for whatever reason. 
And yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. <laughs> Joshua, son of Nun, we all know him, who had been Moses' aide since you spoke up in emotional frenzy and says, Moses, stop them from doing that. Because here's the box the Lord gave us, and it's outside of that box. We got to stop that. Now, I want you to think with me in Mark chapter 9, when someone else said this, some other disciples, Moses' disciple Joshua said, stop, because it's out of the box. Jesus' disciples in Mark 9 said, Jesus, people are casting out demons, but they're not with us. Stop them. And what did Jesus say? Don't stop them. Don't do that. Anyone who's not against us is for us. Don't worry about that. Relax. I want you to think about the implications of what this means, to stop. Stop casting demons out of demon-possessed, tortured people. Back up just a minute and think about what they're sacrificing to get the order that they think they need to have in that moment. And so in this moment, Joshua says, stop speaking forth mysteries of the Lord. I want you to stop Eldad and Medad from speaking divine utterance. And Moses says, relax. Don't stop them. And Moses says this, are you jealous for my sake? And then Moses, as the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, up until Jesus, Deuteronomy 34 says, after Moses, no prophet arose like him. He was the great prophet. And he even said in Deuteronomy 18, after me, another prophet like me will arise and you must listen to him. So Moses, the great prophet, utters this incredible, great prophecy. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Going back to Exodus 7.1, I wish all of the Lord's people, this is my desire, Moses says, would stand in the place of speaking for the Lord, speaking his mind and his heart out. That's what I want, Moses said. Well, then we get to Joel chapter two that Dick just read. And he said, in the great fulfillment in the Lord's heart, when he pours out his spirit, all of the Lord's people will prophesy on all the Lord's people, my sons and my daughters, the old men, the young, all the Lord's people, that's going to happen. And then we get to Acts chapter two, the birth of the church. And they said, these people are drunk. They're speaking the wonders of God in different languages. They're speaking forth divine utterance. They're drunk. And Peter says, no, no, no. This in Acts two is that from Joel two. It's the fulfillment. It's the birth of the church, this prophetic people that speaks the Lord's heart. And Joel 2 is the fulfillment of Numbers 11, where Moses says, this is what I want, that all the Lord's people could do what we're doing right now. After this, the quail came. And it also came with judgment, and they, got, they had to deal with it, but the Lord provided meat for his people. It's an amazing story. I mentioned the Hebrew definition, nava. Now let's talk about the Greek definition in the New Testament. Propheteuo, propheteuo. Good luck with that. To utter forth or to, to declare divine inspiration, 
to foretell the future events pertaining to the kingdom of God. So there's a speaking for and there's a speaking forth. I'm speaking for God. I'm speaking what he's spoken to me. And I'm speaking forth the mind and counsel of the Lord. That's simply what it is. A working definition for us could be summed up as this. To tell forth the mind and counsel of God in certain situations and circumstances. Or inspired speech that reveals things previously unknown. It sometimes predicts the future, not usually though. Usually it's what just happened here in specific circumstances and situations. Another really good definition is found in 1 Corinthians 13, where he's talking about the high and holy calling to love. And he says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and then he sums up, Paul says, and the gift of prophecy is, fathoming all mysteries and knowledge. It's understanding things that you shouldn't have understood previously. Or as Dick read earlier, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening and their encouragement and their comfort. It's what we do. So, real quick, Numbers 11. What was the controversy then? When it first started at the headwaters of prophecy, it's messy. It's outside the boundaries. This is why Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, test prophecies, because it can get messy. The number one controversy today with prophecy that I find is it's messy. And sometimes people say stuff wrong. And I totally agree, 100%. But... Think of the implications of stop. Think of the implications of not doing that. This precious gift that actually is used, Paul says, over and over and over again to build up the church. Think of the implications of that stopping. That's why there's so much warfare against this gift. So the controversy is there's chaos and it's out of order. And so we either choose one S word or another S word. We either stop or we shepherd and I say to you, I want to be found shepherding the prophetic. Who said something wrong prophetically? Who said multiple things wrong prophetically? I'm so glad that fathers in the faith did not say, stop doing that. You hurt people. I'm so glad I had to humble myself and go back to the drawing board and seek the Lord and say, man, I spoke in the flesh in that moment. That was prideful of me. Lord, I want to know your word in a deeper way. I'm so glad I was shepherded through that. Manifestations and order are not enemies that have to be reconciled. 1 Corinthians 14 makes that super clear. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You can all do it orderly, one at a time. There's no need to shout over each other. I want order in the church, but manifestations and order are siblings. They're not enemies. Those two things can stay together. They must stay together. This is divinely fulfilled in the church and it's only fulfilled via the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, it was when God came down and rested upon, they prophesied. Now, it's when he comes up and out that I prophesy. 
Does that make sense? The Lord already came down. I already got the Holy Spirit. I'm sealed. What I need to be is filled to the point of overflowing. And when I overflow, I prophesy. It comes out of me naturally because I've got the mind of Christ. I'm actually ministering Christ to people. That's what we're going to do here in a minute. Because Revelation 19 says, the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. So I'm actually looking at people in the eye and I'm ministering Christ to them. And I'm building them up where? Into the head, Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. Strength, encouragement, and comfort. Lastly, it starts with listening. Did you know that the Latin word I discovered for my daughters last night, the Latin word for listening comes from obedience or obedience comes from listening, vice versa. The Latin word for listening means that you're obeying what the Holy Spirit has for you. So a life of obedience is a life of constant listening. A life of obedience is you're all ears for what Jesus is saying right now. You're hearing what he's saying and you're speaking it forth. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep know my voice. My sheep recognize my voice. Is it me, God, or the devil? Well, it takes some time and it takes just sitting down and listening to his words of love over you. This is a different sermon for a different time. But remember Jesus, Luke 3, he comes up out of the water and he hears a voice from heaven and says, this is my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. One short chapter, la chapter later in Luke 4, another voice comes and he says, if you are really the son of God, then you need to prove it. Turn the stones into bread. Cast yourself off the temple. Worship me that you might get the worship of the entire earth. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I do not have to prove what I already am. I'm listening to the first voice who says, I'm the beloved of God. I will not listen to the voice of another. And so we listen to his voice and it's a loving voice. Is it convicting? You better betcha sometimes it is. But it's always wrapped in love. And I, I begin to discern when it's the Lord telling me something. It's beautiful. Trick question. Wrap up with this. Has the Lord spoken once and for all? Or does the Lord still speak today? Is the Logos written word once and for all set in stone? Yes. Is the Rhema instant word in season that imparts life to me? Both are happening at the same time. The rhema always gets judged by the logos word. It always has to go through that filter. If it disagrees with scripture, it's not the Lord's word. The Lord is doing a new thing. He's speaking. Can you hear the new thing he's doing in your life right now? So, We want to listen. Audier, audere. Yeah, we want to listen. We want to be obedient to what the Lord's saying. 